We find ourselves in the sermon text reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, Well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. We don't know each other. My name is David. I'm on staff here at City Church. And um, if it's your first time visiting, um, well, first of all, it's good to have you here with us. Uh, we're, we're looking this morning at the rich young ruler, which if you've read through the Bible before or you've been in church for a long time, maybe it's a familiar passage. Um, and, and by the way, what we're doing, we've been going through the book of Mark verse by verse. Uh, for a few months now, and there's there's just so much. I don't I don't use these things super often, so excuse me if I get a little twitchy with sucker. Uh, but the, one of the great things about going through the uh, going through a book of the Bible is you just you don't leave any stone unturned, right? And uh, and so one of the great things about that is we don't just uh, gravitate toward the things that we like and neglect the things we don't. And so this is uh, this is a passage obviously about wealth and money, and um, there's always whenever you talk about money in church, there's a, there's a group of people that like, yeah, and there's a definite group of people that like, you know what I mean? And, uh, we, you know, we, we don't, uh, hit on riches and money and that kind of thing very often in our church. Um, maybe we should more, but it's definitely in the Bible and it's this, it's in this passage. So here we are, we're right here at it. And, uh, you know, Scott trusted a third, third string preacher on a holiday weekend to do it. So, um, what I want to do is I want to, Look at ask three questions about this passage. Um, the the past, if you were following along while 
Christian was reading, the passage is kind of broken up into this interaction Jesus has with the rich young ruler. And then he turns and has this interaction with his disciples. And so we kind of have these two different scenes that we're going to look at. And I want to ask three questions. The first is going to be, what was the rich young ruler really after? Then we're going to look at, um, why is it so difficult for the wealthy to get into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says that twice. And then the last one will be, how do we store up treasure in heaven? Okay? So, we'll start off with, what was the rich young ruler really after? Okay, verse 17 says, uh, and he, and as he, so we're talking about Jesus, was setting out on his journey, and, um, and a man ran up and knelt before him. Okay, so uh, we, we know that men in this era, in this culture, didn't run. It was a humiliating thing to do to run. And so, but nonetheless, this guy runs, and then he kneels. And so if we just hit pause right there, right off the nose, this guy seems very pious. You know, um, the, the disciples are looking at this guy thinking, oh, he is after Jesus in like the best way. And then it says that he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so... There we, there we have from him in his words what he says he's after, eternal life, an inheritance in eternal life. And then Jesus replies to him, why do you call me good? Now, if you're like me, when you first read that verse, you're like, well, you're Jesus Christ, so you're good, right? Um, but what he's doing here is he is challenging this man's definition of good. Because then he says, no one is good except God alone. He's challenging this man's definition of good. The, the man, he, he, he has a preconceived notion, um, a, a worldview in which there is such a thing as a good person. I'm a good person. I do this and I do this and I do that. I'm a good person. And clearly he's been watching Jesus and Jesus has been doing all these things and he's qualified Jesus as a good person. Calls him a good teacher. And so Jesus is speaking into that notion and he says... No one is good except God alone. He's actually quoting our, our Old Testament reading uh, that the Christian read for us a little bit earlier. Psalm 14, I'll read it again. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven and on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And so Jesus... Is, is quoting this back to the man saying, look, th- this whole notion of being a good person, that there's, there's something that you can do to kind of earn, earn what we would call self-righteousness, earn your righteousness by doing works. We might even call that works righteousness, that there's a set of boxes that we can check, that somehow that we know that if we, if, if we, we sense that if maybe if we do these certain things, we might therefore earn God's favor. We might therefore have done enough to inherit eternal life. And how do we know from this passage that that's what Jesus is getting at? Look at what he does next at verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, don't steal, do not bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, in a different passage, Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember what Jesus' reply is? He says, honor the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and has this interaction with God, God gives him the Ten Commandments, and he puts the Ten Commandments on two tablets. And on, um, and on this tablet over here are all of the commandments that have to do with love your neighbor as yourself. And on this tablet over here are all the commandments that have to do with love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? And so if we look here at the commandments that Jesus rattled off to this guy, you'll notice, first of all, there's not ten of them. And second of all, he's only listing the, 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 the commandments from this tablet, the love your neighbor as yourself tablet. And of course, the, the rich young ruler says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. But what Jesus is, again, getting at is he has, he has made this list of things that if I do enough, then surely I can be good before God. If I, if I perform, if I, if I do these different rituals, if I go to church and if I give to the poor and if I uh, volunteer regularly and I you know, try to really keep my cool with my kids, then I'll be enough. I'll be a, a good person. Did you know that you can actually love your neighbor as yourself and not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? But you cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and not also love your neighbor as yourself. And, and what Jesus is getting at here, when I, I think what he's trying to convey to us in this interaction with the rich young ruler is a lot of us, we get hung up on the love your neighbor <clears throat> commandments and we don't go over here to the love your order God commandments. And that, and that our, our obeying and our following the love your neighbor commandments is out of honor to ourselves as the rich young ruler is trying to do. And what Jesus really wants is for us to obey those commandments out of a love for Him, a heart for Him, to be motivated out of loving Him to then go out and love others. He talks about this in Matthew 6 where he says, I mean, beware of practicing your righteousness. It is right that we should love our neighbors. It is essential. Jesus even says it's one of the two main commandments. But he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So we're starting to get some clues about how to build treasure in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, we're trying to make a fairly big deal of birthdays in my house, and um, just imagine with me for a second that I'm throwing a, a birthday party for my wife, Lana. And I, I prepare a bunch of wonderful food, I decorate the house. I uh, invite all her friends. I even like I even wrote her a song one year and played it in front of everybody. Write her a song. Um, and so we have the party. There is a way for me to execute this birthday party in her honor, but it's really about me trying to honor myself. There's a way for me to do this, for me to, to come out of it feeling like I'm affirmed as a good man and a good husband. Look, look at what all that I've done for my wife. 
And there's also a way for me to do it for me to assure that I'm making great Lena and honoring Lena. When, when, when Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, he's, he's talking about what's going on with inside, inside of you. Even I can come across as humble in the way I try to make honor Lena and her birthday, but in myself, I can be like, hey, Dave, you're the man. You did it. Look at how much they like that song. And I, could, I can really, I can try to puff myself up and all the things that I'm doing for her. And what Jesus is calling us to is a, is a true honoring of Him with these acts. Really magnifying Him both in how we're drawing people in and what we're doing, the, the social context of it, but also within our own hearts. So what does the rich young ruler, what, what is he actually after? He's really after eternal life. He's, he's after a, something that he wants that he thinks is a good thing. And what Jesus is trying to make, the, the point is, is not having an afterlife. The point is, is not necessarily being in heaven. The point is being with me. Having a relationship with me now that, that, that becomes an eternal, perfectly, totally satisfying relationship with me in, in eternity, in the afterlife. He tells the rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Because he knows that his wealth is what's keeping him from actually having that relationship with Jesus. And if you're thinking right now, do I have to sell everything that I have? We'll get to that in a minute. He says, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowfully for he had great possessions. He wasn't after Jesus. It was just after the, the afterlife. He, 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 was, he was trying to create this slot machine with God. If I put in this, I get out that. What I'm trying to get out over here is an eternal life. He didn't, he didn't want to have to let Jesus be Lord of his life. And Jesus made very clear that like, that is what it's all about, is us having a relationship and you letting me be the king of your life. Now, then, then Jesus turns to his disciples and has a what we call a kairos moment. He has a, a teachable moment with the disciples, and he, he's, he's given them the commentary on what just happened. He, and he says a couple times here some, some stuff specifically about wealth. And so, before we dive in on what's Jesus trying to get at about, about wealth, I want to start by defining what's a, what is wealth in this context exactly. How, how would you define wealth? And and what I want to show you is that the, the line between poor and wealthier is actually thinner than you might think. When I've talked to people, uh, when I've talked to different people who I might deem wealthy, um, it seems to me that most of us don't consider ourselves wealthy. It's, it's almost as if you have to drive a, you know, a G-Wagon and have a security detail and a private jet to qualify for wealthy, and that, I don't think that's the case at all, at least not in biblical terms. So poor... Let's look at poor first. Poor is your basic human needs are not regularly met. You're begging or going without for basic human needs. Shelter from the weather for protection. Uh, food, a balanced diet. Social, social relationships, social capital. You, you, you're, you're, you're living without those things. You're vulnerable. You're living in want, hungry That that's poor. Maybe maybe that all that definition of poor 
kind of like, okay, I agree with that. Wealthy, though, on the other side of that is, if at the end of the day you have more food than hunger, that's considered wealth. If you're consistently confident that wherever you live, your, your living place is, one, going to protect you from the elements, and two, going to protect you from an assailant, that's wealth. And especially if you have an extra room in your house that you don't use every day. So, and, and another, another element of wealth that I think is really important that we often overlook is, is, is social capital. Someone you could call, a network you could call when you're, if you're out of a job or you need help with something or if you have a, a, some kind of health care issue, someone you know, a doctor, whatever, people that can guide you in society. And also, by the way, that, that social capital also protects you. I, probably the most vulnerable person in America is a refugee woman. Why? No one's, you know, they're, they're just vulnerable to, to an assailant. If they go missing, like, no one really knows them. So, I would guess that by the, by this con, in this context, by Jesus' definition, probably everyone in here is wealthy. So let's not disqualify ourselves as, we, as wealthy as we fan out this passage. So, what I want to offer is two things. Why does it, uh, wealth make it difficult to enter in the kingdom of heaven? I'm gonna, there's there's got to be more than two, but here's two that I feel Jesus makes clear to us. One is, when you, when you have wealth, there can be this sense that you have that God's blessing you. That you're, you're doing the right things, and so therefore God must be blessing you. I, I must be doing the right things because God is blessing me. And this, is, this is kind of the notion that the rich young ruler had. And for sure the disciples had. So when Jesus says how difficult it is for the wealthy to get into heaven, what was the disciples' response? And the disciples were amazed at his words. He says uh, it's harder for a, a, a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven than to get a camel through the eye of a needle. That's a familiar passage, isn't it? And what was the disciples' response? And they were exceedingly astonished. So, so the disciples... Had a, in their worldview, in their theology, they had a little bit of this uh, humanism. You might also call it karma. If I do this, if I do enough good over here, then good's going to come out over here. And so if I got a lot of good over here, then I must have done good over here. We could do, I could, if I had time to unpack that. Um, so they, they, they were thinking about that, and Jesus is debunking that and saying, that is not the case. But it can be easy for us to have that in our, in the way we're thinking about our lives. It's like I, I got a good job, I got a great, you know, if, if, you're, if you're, you know, spouse, family connections, social connections. I'm a happy person. I must be doing it all right. And guys, if you just look at the life of Jesus. Following after God is no guarantee that your life's going to be easy or happy or wealthy. And so let us not have the disillusion that, okay, if we have a lot of wealth, we must be doing all the right things. Wealthy people need to be repentant too. We've got to examine our lives for the places where we're, we're not chasing after God, or we think that we've earned His favor. Um, the second thing that I think that's very clear to us here is if you're wealthy, there could be a sense of having your own kingdom. The king of your own castle. Right? Um, I, I have more money at the end of the month. 
We've got a, hopefully you've got a savings account and something you can use in case of an emergency. Um, you, you, you have your house or your apartment, your car, you have reliable transportation, your friends and your family you can, you can lean on. And this, this gives, starts to give you a sense of having your own dominion. And when you're living in a place, one, where there's not a lot of need, you can start to think, I don't really need God. I, I've got this. And the more of that that you have, the harder it is to give it over to God. Because you, you start to have this sense of just the significant just girth of all that you have within your domain. And so we can have this false sense of blessing. And we have this sense of being the king over our own domain. It makes it hard for us to surrender over to another king. So I... Um, you know, Lana and I, we, as many of you know, we lived for some years over in Zurich. And when we, we decided to move back home because we wanted to start a family. And so we decided before that we come to Atlanta and, and start working, we're going to sow kind of the last of our youthful oats. And one of the things we wanted to do was learn Spanish. And so we, we get online and get on some blogs and we find this Spanish school in Guatemala. I just can't remember how we chose this one because it was so remote. Um, it definitely wasn't on any like Forbes travel list or anything. But anyway, it was about two and a half hours from Guatemala City. Definitely a third world town situation. Very small, um, but beautiful on this volcanic lake. And, um, and so we're, we're in class six, seven hours a day learning Spanish. And then when you're in the school, uh, they, they pair you with a, fa- a local family to live with to, um, you know, for accommodation, but also to practice your Spanish with. And so we wind up living with this family uh, that it's a, it's a husband and wife. They're probably in their mid-40s, and they've got two kids. And it was, uh, you know, we, we, we discovered pretty quickly that this was a Christian family. And they went to church on Sunday, and so we said, can we come with you to church? We went with them to their church. And, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the bells and whistles that maybe we're used to, but it was so spirit-filled. These people were on fire for Jesus. And, um, you know, unfortunately it wasn't until the latter part of our time at the school that we understood all of what they were saying, but it was just evident. I mean, you can be in the room, you know what I mean? Um, the, the, the dad of the family we were living with, he was an elder in the church, and he's leading a men's Bible study on Wednesday night. And after living with him for a month, it was very evident that uh, there was nothing to indicate that I was more intelligent than any of them. I certainly didn't have a better work, work ethic. I worked incredibly hard. I definitely wasn't more righteous than them. These people love the Lord and were mature believers. And yet that by any standard, these people were poor. Um, you know, they, the, their house was, they, they did have a house, which was great. You know, just center block building. And there's a few, just a few rooms, and each room is just one little light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Um, probably 85% of their diet was just corn, served different ways. You know, they'd say we have a chicken soup tonight, but it was like we're all sharing one chicken leg and 15 tortillas each. And, um, and you know, and obviously like that, you know, so there, there was not a, a balanced diet, but they, that was all they could afford was the corn. And these people were happy. And it just any notion that I had before that maybe somehow I've earned what I have in my life, higher education, good work ethic, strategic thinking, social connection, a good LinkedIn page, that's, that is just a false notion. For whatever reason, 
some of us, God chooses to entrust more wealth to than others. And we have got to heed the warning here that it can hinder us from surrendering to Him. We don't know why He chooses some people other than others. But let's not be arrogant and foolish and think that somehow we learned it all. Because there's other people that are working just as hard, that are just as smart, that deserve it just as much, that don't get it. Even Jesus himself came down as a poor, a poor man. Look at verse 31. Have you ever thought about what this means? I think for a long time I was like, oh, I should just go get right in the back of the line. Many who are first will be last and the last first. What does he actually mean by that? He's talking about in spirit. We, we, can, we can earn a lot and have a lot in our lives and, and make great of ourselves. Make, make ourselves first amongst our equals. That we somehow feel we deserve honor, deserve praise, deserve respect. Even Jesus himself calls himself humble, and he came and lived a humble life so that he could accomplish something that was going to play out into eternity that was way better than accumulating and enjoying wealthy material things in this life. And so, like, you, again, referring back to my illustration with Lana's birthday, I don't need to be, I don't need to be first. I, I don't need people to think I'm a great husband or people to affirm my manhood by all the stuff I've done for her because I know that she sees what I'm doing. She knows what I'm doing. So I can be last in that moment as I'm honoring her so that later on, for the rest of our lives that we spend together, we can have more intimacy together. But if I had tried to make myself first, whereas if we try to make ourselves first now and in this life, we rob ourselves of the potential intimacy that we can have with God. So as we come to our last question here, how do we store up treasure in heaven? The scripture in a few places indicates that there may be an actual material treasure of some kind that we have in heaven, but the primary treasure is actually this relationship that we get to have with Jesus. This, this perfect communion we get to have with the Lord in eternity. So how do we do it? How do we get it? Well, the rich young ruler, what does Jesus say? He tells the rich young ruler to go and sell everything that you have and follow me. Now, if you're new to Christianity, if you're here the first time and you're asking the question, do I need to sell everything I have? M maybe, but probably not. Probably not. But... We would need to be willing to if Jesus called us to it. But what I know for sure is that if you have a genuine encounter with Jesus and you make Him Lord of your life, the King of your heart, then it's going to affect every bit of your life. And a great example of where this happens with another wealthy man is Zacchaeus. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus? He, Jesus calls this man out of a tree. He's, you know, the guy's ashamed and whatever, and he's, but, but he's wealthy. And what happens after he, he gives his life over to Jesus? He doesn't sell everything he has, but he immediately gets extremely generous. And not just spewing money out, but he's being, he's being calculated in participating with God in renewal and redemption. I could, make, I could easily make this sermon about our, our 
purpose as a church. We're joining God as a family on mission for the renewal of all things. We didn't just make that up because it sounds good or because we're trying to be progressive and care for the poor well. We believe it's a biblical mandate that we are joining God and redeeming this world into a redemption that He will one day bring into completion when He returns. And so that's what happens with Zacchaeus. Is he, he, first thing he does is he writes the wrongs that he's made, and then he starts getting generous and, 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 and giving to the poor, participating in renewal of the people right around him. And so if we have an experience with Jesus, and through that experience he brings us to repentance and we have a relationship with him, we, we have to let him be king over our whole heart, our whole life, including our assets and our wealth. And he will then use that in a way to bring renewal into the world through you. Some of us, he's called to be extremely wealthy. And there's a, that's incredible. And you, you, we should not feel guilty for that. We should, we should be grateful. And yes, enjoy it. But we should also be generous. And, 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 and I think that as we define wealth and poverty, I think we should also define generosity. And what, what generosity is is when we give to a point to where it affects our standard of living. And God, God calls us to this, and he, he led with it first. You ever wonder, like, is there some way that God could have, you know, paid for our sins without him having to come down to earth? He condescended himself, came down from heaven to earth in order to make right our wrongs. That is, he obviously affected his standard of living significantly by doing that. And that's what he's calling us to join him in. So, generosity is, is, is total submission to Jesus as king of your life, including all your assets. And then having a heart of worship that we could enjoy him in generosity. Um, when I was new, newly wed, you know, if you're single, you can, you can kind of manage your finances shooting from the hip a little bit. Um, kind of make sure you just don't get down to zero. And when Lana and I were newly married, I was like, okay, I need to figure out this budgeting thing. And so I started listening to Dave Ramsey. Maybe some of you guys have heard of Dave Ramsey. Um, but his whole shtick is he, he's, he's trying to encourage people to um, get out of debt as quickly as possible and save money so that you can then have financial freedom. And then he wraps all that up into a motto, which is live like no one else so you can then live like no one else. And Jesus is saying basically the same thing. The way we store up treasure in heaven is we live like no one else right now so that we can then live like no one else in eternity with him. And Dave Ramsey's paradigm, he's saying, you all are trying to keep up with the Joneses, but what you don't realize is the Joneses are broke. And what Jesus is saying to us is we're all trying to keep up with the Joneses, but what we don't realize is the Joneses are not expecting an afterlife. They're living like today is, is all we get. The here and now is, you know, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But there is an afterlife to look forward to. So, if at this point in our passage you're feeling uh, confusion, guilt, um, I, I mean, I know the Lord's convicted me. I've, I've definitely had to take inventory of my own um, spending and generosity in my life and as I've gone through this passage. And here's what I want to close with showing you. Verse 21. So this is a rich young ruler comes up to him, and he's just totally self-righteous, right? 
It says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him right where he was. He was unsubmissive and unrepentant. And he loved him anyway. And, and in Psalm 14, as, we've, as we referred to already, it says, God looked down and saw that no one was good. And what did he do? He didn't just sit up in heaven thinking, well, we're just going to have to wait for these guys to pull it together. Or I could just annihilate this world and start another one and hope it works out better. No. He started a story of redemption. He started a story of redemption because he loved us. He loved you. He loved you so much that he couldn't imagine an eternity without you. And so he became generous to us. He came down as a poor man and lived a life that none of us could live. And I love, I have to reference verse 27. Disciples are saying, how is it possible that any of us could get into heaven as this is the standard? And Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. That is a promise to you and me. And there's so much hope in that. This morning I was like, all things are possible. You know, like, we should be singing that. Laura, can we sing that one next Sunday? Um, just, just, it's just it's so encouraging that it's not on, on all of us. Just because I preach this passage doesn't mean I'm going to do generosity perfectly. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to still sometimes hoard things and not, you know, give them all over to God, but that because He is God, because all things are possible, He can work through me, give me a heart of repentance. And then He, he fills us with His Spirit. When, when you accept Jesus into your heart, when you ask Him to be the Lord of your life, He fills you with His Spirit, and with His Spirit comes a fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The power. He gives you the power to do all of this. It's not all on you. He equips you. He doesn't just call you. And so we're, we're going to turn now to a time of, of uh, confession and, and, and celebration. And, and let us just go in hope and in expectation that through Him all things are possible. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much. Not <clears throat> for all that You did for us on the cross, but for leading with generosity toward us. That you looked down from heaven and you saw that we had issues. We were self-righteous. We weren't loving you. Instead of just getting angry, you got tender. You got humble and you came to us. Lord, may we be moved by your generosity and your graciousness. We may also be generous and gracious and the community around you, that we'd make renewal and redemption happen for your honor, for your glory, because you deserve it. We pray this in your name. Amen.